This is Bless You Boys Podcast 90, recorded Friday, October 11th, 2013. I am a real American. Thanks for listening, manager. Welcome to Bless You Boys Podcast. We're the editorial staff of BlessYouBoys.com, SB Nation's Detroit Tigers blog. Covers the past week of Detroit Tigers playoff baseball, uh, ALDS specifically. I'm your host, co-managing editor of BlessYouBoys.com, Al Beaton. You know me around the side as Big Al. Got the usual gang with us this week. We're all tired and cranky, and uh, it's been a long week of covering some very dramatic baseball. Uh, first off, we have uh, essentially the newest member of the tribe, and that would be the man we call Hookslide. Hookslide, have you recovered from this five games of, I'm not sure what to call it? No, no, I have not. <laughs> I, I, I will point out for the record, I am tired, but I am not cranky. I am uh, in a great mood after last night. Mm. I, I think uh, the other, uh, my, our other guest may, uh, uh, <laughs> may turn, <laughs> he may have other things to say about this. He's a columnist for the Detroit News. He is a grand poobah at SB Nation. Uh, he's also co-managing editor of Bless You Boys, and he is uh, essentially king of the UP, and that would be Mr. Kurt Menchin. Kurt, uh, have you survived this, or are you at death's door at this point? Well, I'm speaking to you, so that's a good sign, right? Yeah, barely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was an exhausting series. Yeah, we were both dragging ass this morning. so I almost skipped the morning entirely. <laughs> yeah, and you, yeah, you were up later than all of us, considering you were your shift runs till two o'clock at SB Nation, which means you're probably up till four or something like that. Three, three thirty, actually. Yeah, so it was uh, uh, yeah between the West Coast games and the dramatics of the games, and it went five games, and the A's are annoying, and the Tigers were annoying, and the fan base was annoying, and both fan bases were annoying, and the media was annoying. It was an annoying five games, to say the very least. It's like because, Lefty Boys was great. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, we were we were hunky dory. We weren't annoying, I hope. But uh, uh, first off, before we get talking about the the ALDS and also the ALCS as Detroit is moving on to play the Red Sox, uh, you want to contact us? Uh, questions, love letters, hate mail, uh, bybpodcast at gmail dot com, bybtigers at gmail dot com. That's the catch all email for bless you boys. Uh, we're on the Twitters at bless you boys, and we're on Facebook, facebook dot com slash byb.tigers, where you can uh, yell about Jim Leland's lineups. That seems to be a good place for that. Hey, Al? Yeah. Have you ever gotten a legitimate love letter? Oh, uh, yeah. We do, from, get, from the, we do get a We do get occasional, I, I enjoy your show, but we get more, what the hell were you talking about? Or or you or you cuss too much? Or, you, you know, or, or, or you screwed up, you, or you screwed up in editing and left a mistake in, you know, so it's usually that kind of I'll, stuff. I'll stop emailing those, I promise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and you guys sing too much, I think, so, uh, hey, come yeah. on. regardless of all that, 
Uh, it's been a, a really busy week for us, obviously, covering the five-game series that turned out to be the divisional series. Uh, and since we last talked, obviously lots happened. In a nutshell, this has been the past week. The Tigers seem to be underway to a sweep. They were left for dead on the side of the road with fans wanting heads to roll and major changes. Then they scared living shit out of us, and then they're finally on our way to the ALCS in a relatively easy win. So uh, we were, we got we covered the damn gamut over these five games from this team was great till I want Leland fired to oh my god Justin Verlander owns the Oakland Athletics and it's on Wikipedia to prove it. So uh, Kurt. Uh, I know we, we uh, most of us predicted uh, a four or five game series, but I don't think any of us saw it going down the way it did. Though I mean, this was uh, well ridiculous at times, especially game four. Is just how dramatic the series ended up being. I don't know. I thought my prediction was pretty good. Mm. <laughs> well, what, what did I say? It would go five games, and it would not be fun. And yeah. I think I think I think we can say. It, it went five games, and and many of them were not fun. Yeah. <laughs> Game two, you know, everyone says instant classic because, you know, uh, Verlander went eight innings and Sonny Gray pitched awesome. And, and, you know, instant classic, not for us. Yeah. You know, we were the losing side. It was not an instant classic. It was just exhausting and depressing. Yes. Uh, you know, ga- Game three, Tigers lost and it was not pretty and Sanchez is giving up a bunch of home runs and it, and that was no fun and that that was uh I think you know many in the fan base pretty much should put the Tigers chances of advancing at zero and mm-hmm. I was I was just barely ahead of them you know I thought after game 3 they were they were out and uh so you know game 4 mostly fun until the ninth inning when Ben Watt started giving up runs mm-hmm. uh and then game 5 is never fun ever, well, even well, when you win. Yeah. <laughs> well, keep in mind, though, game four wasn't fun in the seventh. Well, more like the eighth inning, though. Know, come on. That was absolutely death. That was like I almost had a heart attack. I know we were we were chatting during that, Kurt, and we were both at death's door. Well, you know, you expect when the bases are loaded and there's no outs, a run is going to score. Yes. You, you know, somebody's going to hit a fly ball or, or you know, put it on the – Right side, you know, put put one in the right spot, and the Tigers will turn a double play, but allow the run to score and, and tie game. You expect something's going to happen, and it's going to be a tie game. But or, or God help us if you know he, a single drops, and the Tigers are suddenly losing on the verge of elimination. So you know, it, it was it was a performance. We look back on it and we go, my goodness, what Max Scherzer did. That man has a set on him. But but uh, you know, as fans, it was it was like our sets were in our throats. Yeah, yeah, to say the very least. Uh, Hook slide. Were you kind of were you starting to mentally check out on this season uh, for a while there? I know I was, especially early on in Game Four when the Tigers were being no hit and uh, it really was looking like the Tigers the, the offense was never ever going to wake up. I was mentally preparing for the season to be over at that game. Well, it depends on which game. I mean, yeah. the first the first two were okay. I mean, I'm glad that we won the first one. The second one, yeah, tough loss, but you know, I was still pretty okay. You know, at that point, mm-hmm. when when Sanchez got rocked in that third game, that's when I really felt like, oh no, this this is it, yeah. because at that point the offense had not really shown anything. You know, beyond the, the three runs in the first game, and then they managed to get three back. You know, that that Peralta home run was was you know. 
But no, it, it, it's coming out of that game that I thought, no, they're on the brink of elimination right now. And I looked mm-hmm. back at you know the records, and and uh, it makes sense because that's this is the first uh, division series where the Tigers have faced more than one elimination game. Yeah, yeah, good point. So the the, the tension was was definitely there um, for Game Four, absolutely. I mean, I, especially when they were being no hit, you know, through mm-hmm. the first four innings or whatever. You know, and I'm sitting here going, "This is it! I can't believe it! It's actually going to end here." And uh, I felt a lot better coming out of that game, knowing they were going into Game Five with with Berlander on the mound. Yeah, I, I, that's that's a huge uh, chip to be able to break out of your pocket when you can have a oh yeah, I can use my Cy Young winner in relief in Game Four to make sure we get to a Game Five. Oh yeah, I have a former MVP in Cy Young for Game Five, so who has finally figured out what was the matter with his mechanics and is back to his dominant self. So that was uh, still you're right. The the Tigers have not won consecutive uh, elimination games in the playoffs, I believe, since 1968 when they were down 3-1 to the uh, Cardinals. So, yeah, we're not used to this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, and great. I think Game 3, guys, is what really set people on the edge. Specifically, uh, uh, it wasn't so much, uh, well, obviously the offense dying, and Verlander was great, and so was Sonny Gray. But it was the, uh, everybody was thinking, okay, this game is going to extra innings. Al Albuquerque, God forbid, he got them out of a jam in the eighth. Oh, my God, he's going back in for the ninth. Uh, Kurt, I think that's where everybody started to think, oh, my God, this series is not going to end well, especially when Albuquerque turned back into Al Albuquerque, where you seem to be rolling the dice if you want to go if an extended outing with him. Next thing you know, the bases are loaded. Rick Porcello gets thrown into a crappy situation, and the game's over. Well, you know, for me, it wasn't – that actually, mm-hmm. it was it was definitely the offense which had me down in the dumps because you know mm-hmm. through the first three games they scored in two innings. <laughs> yeah, you know they they were shut out for twenty five out of twenty seven innings. You mm-hmm. can't feel and and they they were no hit the last game of the year and they scored three runs against the Marlins of all teams and they they clinched against the Twins with what two runs or one run one one nothing right so yeah. I mean it it was. It was uh, it was an offense that had been dead in the water, and they remained dead in the water, and it was hard to see that suddenly turning around. So I I was not it, it was not Albuquerque at all for me. It, it was the offense. But you know, mm-hmm. to your point, uh, I I looked at it, and I, I mean, I at the time a lot of second guessing about Albuquerque going back out mm-hmm. to the to the ninth, and I. I, I second guess myself, but I mean, I I I I think it was I felt comfortable with the decision in retrospect. That, that wasn't what made the game. It, you know, it was the offense not scoring that made the game. So mm-hmm. I, I I wasn't really worried about that. Yeah, it was. Uh, uh, yeah, the, yeah, the offense though was, uh, was was like kind of like this. Un- it was the undercurrent of the entire series, really. Not you, you're not trusting the, the Tigers' offense because you know Miguel Cabrera being essentially mush inside at this point. Uh, and let alone the slumps of Austin Jackson was god awful. Tory Hunter is back in, you know, wild swinging mode and things like that. We'll get into all that. Uh, but game four, uh, that's where the scoreless streak finally ended on the Johnny Peralta home run. Uh, a Fister, I mean, we that that's a, that was another game filled with doom early on anyway. When Doug Fister needed 50 pitches to get out of the first two innings, and yet somehow earned a quality start keeping the Tigers in the game. Uh, the A's bullpen finally coughed up the lead, and Max Scherzer, as I said earlier, gave everyone a heart attack. And one of the <laughs> that's going to be one of those uh, innings people are going to talk out talk about for decades. How just how wild and crazy that was. But 
Uh, it, that's another one of those games, Hokeside, where the Tigers finally ended up on the good side of one of those all-time games because this one's that game's already being talked about as one of the most entertaining playoff games in recent memory. Well, define entertaining. <laughs> yeah, yeah, entertaining for everybody but A's and Tigers fans. Right, exactly. Uh, that was that was a very great. Uh, somebody said this on Twitter. It might have been you, Kurt. Um, you know that the, the playoff games are great after they're done. Yeah, <laughs> they are. They are hell to go through. You know, yeah. at the time. Yes. That, that was you that said that, wasn't it? I, it was. I, 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 you know, I, I said thirty minutes after the game, maybe you start to enjoy it, but. The playoffs right. are like the worst part of the entire baseball season when they're occurring. <laughs> I, I can tell you exactly where I was for that eighth inning. Yeah. I can I can tell you exactly what uh, you know. I was in the car at the time, but I can tell you exactly what street, you know, I was on when Max Scherzer got the final out of that eighth inning. That was that was just sheer torture. Yeah, I'm surprised he didn't drive off the street. <laughs> uh, no, I, I actually pulled over into a parking lot. Oh, good for thing final, for the final out because it was it was getting bad. <laughs> but wow, what a ride! Um, and you talk about just you know the amazing uh, swing shift of emotions. Yeah. From you know there being no hit through this thing, and then all of a sudden Johnny Peralta just you know ties it up in one in one shot. And you know I, I think I posted something about this in one of the uh, you know comment threads. Mm-hmm. That I was sitting here watching the game with with my nine year old son, and you know fourth inning you know comes and goes and and uh, it's not looking good and he actually got a little bit you know teary eyed, and and was kind of going they're not going to win this are they this is going to be the end of the season and I said you know I don't know but it's yeah it's not looking good so I just kind of like held him you know we're watching on the couch and he's laying on me we're watching it and then Peralta mm-hmm. hit that that home run you talk about going from literal tears to just insane you know cheering yeah. That, that that's a great moment right there. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, the, the, it was it was a roller coaster ride, and it really did, it has seemed like the Tigers have ended up on the short end of these kind of games. All too well, not that all, you know, that, not that there's been a lot of them, but you, you know, but we all go back to game 163, and obviously game two, you know, was another game like that. Where, where you know, that was a pitcher's duel for the ages, if you want to, you know, want to go that far. So, but that was. Uh, <laughs> And Mr. Toad's wild ride, I think, would be a good description. Well, actually, Mr. Scherzer's wild ride, I think, would be the way to call that. But in the end, though, you know, it all worked out. You know, we survived all these games thanks to uh, Game Five, where the superstars stepped up: Justin Verlander, Miguel Cabrera. But there's still there's there was a fair amount of second guessing of Jim Leland, especially before games when he made it lineup announcements. You know how he shuffled the. Uh, well, it shuffled Johnny Peralta around the field, actually playing Don Kelly, where that caused the Twitter meltdown. Uh, and almost every move he made, though, worked, you know, save for a couple of hit-and-run calls that were questionable that obviously ended up in uh, strike-em-out, throw-em-outs. But when it came to the starting lineups, how we, you know, how we used Johnny Peralta, uh, he really came out and you know, using Scherzer out of the bullpen, you know, those kind of, you know, uh, how we used uh, pinch hitting, pinch runners, things like that. He came out of this series, Kurt, looking pretty darn good. You know, the fan base went into meltdown mode several times, but for the most part, I'd say Jim Leland, his track record in this series was really, really good. I mean, why are we surprised? This is mm-hmm. this is Jim Leland of the postseason. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you go back to 2006. Junior Varsity versus the Yankees, you know, yeah. Leland pulled him through. He's doing crazy things like using Alexis Gomez in the lineup, and mm-hmm. Gomez is hitting home runs. And, and, you know, 
Don Kelly, Mr. Mr. October, for Pete's sake, in the past two years. You know, he he had a key home run against the uh, against the what Yankees two years ago, I think it was. Yeah, now. it was. Yeah, it was the game. It was a, it was the game five of that series. Right, and, and you know, he 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 helped win a game last year in the ALDS, and you know, this year, the people. I, I hey, I said on Twitter, I said. Patrick, you know, Tiger Dog One, our good friend, uh, isn't going to like it. And indeed, he was bitching and moaning like mad at anyone who would get near his Twitter account. But I said, Patrick's not going to like it. I like this lineup. I like what Leland has done. Why? Because I like I, I like Don Kelly more than Andy Dirks defensively. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't care what people think. Some people say, well, he's, he's just a utility player. Why aren't you using your natural outfit? I like I like Kelly's glove better. I think we've seen Kelly's glove is better over the past several years. Uh, and the, you know, offensively, neither of them uh, are a threat. But hey, look, Ke- Kelly had two hits against Sonny Gray in the first game, both mm-hmm. infield. And, but he and, had good swings, better than pretty much anybody on the team. And he walked twice in this game. So yeah. I mean, clearly it, it worked, and, and I, I I thought it would work. And and I I told Patrick before they returned to Detroit after that awful game too. You know, Patrick and I were emailing, and I and I said. And I was commenting on a story that he wrote, and I said I, I would like to see Peralta at shortstop because we're not getting anything out of Iglesias. Mm-hmm. And it, so it made sense. Why why do you want Peralta playing in that cavernous outfield in Oakland when your shortstop isn't helping anyway? So it, it made sense to move Johnny at, at shortstop. So I, I liked every single move he made. You know, like you said, in-game moves where where he does stuff like, you know, hit and run. Well. Never hit and run with Austin Jackson at the plate again. Yeah. But I, I think Leland just he he has he has this like this touch, and so I I approve of pretty much anything he does in the postseason. Yeah, I I I, 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 I know when we were chatting uh, yesterday, I put it like this: you know, when did Andy Dirks become a difference maker? The way people were treating uh, the switch, you know, it's like. Neither one of them have been very good at the plate, but you know, I, I'm, I was with you. The way John Kelly had been swinging the bat, he looked better at the plate than Andy Dirks at this point. And plus, defense, you know, especially in that carnivorous uh, outfield in Oakland, you know, I want the best glove as possible out there. So, uh, but there was still a lot of uh, uh, second guessing that actually worked that we can talk about. Uh, uh, hook slide, specifically Max Scherzer. Now, after winning Game One, he was expected to be the starter in Game Seven. I mean, pardon me, Game Five. Uh, but he and were you surprised that Jim, when Jim Leland announced, "If I need him, I'm going," I, he's available in relief in Game Four, and then he actually went out there with them because uh, just the, the disaster that could have happened there. You know, if you you know as good as Scherzer is, he, he rarely is pitched in relief. If that decision had uh, gone the other way, and Scherzer had blown that lead. Jim Leland, oh, he would have. <laughs> I would have hated to see the meltdown over that if something like that happened. So uh, it worked out because there was a lot of pe- uh, guys that were saying, you know, a lot of uh, media were saying, yeah, use Max Scherzer, but start him. But once again, Leland knows better than us, I believe, and uh, it, it paid off again in this. Well, I mean, you got to understand that in the postseason, tensions are high, mm-hmm. and, and every move counts. You know, it counts for double, in fact. And, there, you know, there's a little psychological thing that happens in all of us in, you know, high-intensity situations like that, you know, where we're we're not in control. Mm-hmm. So it's much easier to second-guess this person who is in control. And even guys like me who don't typically second-guess Leland, yeah. 
oh, he was he was driving me crazy this entire series. But it's just the tension yeah. talking at that point. Uh, bringing Scherzer, uh, you know, in, out of the bullpen that day, I, I thought that was a stupid move. Mm-hmm. And and I haven't really kind of reevaluated, you know, whether it is or isn't because I don't look at the results. You know, I just want to say, was it, you know, at the at the time the decision was made, was it a good one? And I had seen the quote from Max Scherzer when people were saying, um, "Will he start yeah. that game?" On you know on 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 a low amount of rest. And Scherzer, I read the quote from him saying, "I'm not physically capable. Mm-hmm. I can't do it." And so I read that to mean, you know, the guy's tired. Yeah. He he hasn't rested his arm yet. And so when they were talking about then bringing him out of the bullpen, I thought, no, come on. That's that's not a good move for somebody mm-hmm. who's telling you, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not physically there yet. And I, I think, you know, that instinct is is maybe proved a little right. If you go back and look at the two innings that he pitched, I don't think he had his, his best stuff. Yeah. And he did give up a run in the mm-hmm. first inning. And then he got himself into that bases loaded problem in the second inning that he pitched. So, yeah, good move, bad move, probably not a good move. It worked out. Yeah. Uh, but I'll tell you what, mm-hmm. the, the, the one time this year, maybe since I've been watching Tiger Baseball since Leland started managing, the one time that I have actually was mad enough that I said, fire him, <laughs> <laughs> was when Johnny Peralta hit that double mm-hmm. in game four, and then he pulled him out and put uh, Andy Dirks to pinch run. And it was still only like I think the seventh inning or something like right. that, and it was still only a tie game. And I thought, you moron, you just took out the one bat that's actually doing something. That you know, already hit a home run in this game, and now just hit a double, and you pulled him out. Oh, I was I was furious. <laughs> I'm over I'm over it now. So. Yeah, and plus uh, Dirks did score. So <laughs> yes, he did. Yes, he did. But yeah, you know, and uh, yeah, because uh, I think the entire nation, at least Tigers nation, was yelling for uh, why isn't. Uh, Drew Smiley coming in in the space of the situation of left-handed bats coming up. But at that point, Jim Leland has made up his mind. It was Max Scherzer's game to win or lose, and Scherzer won. <laughs> it was, oh, God, it's still amazing just to even think about. But uh, speaking of pitchers that we got to talk about, obviously we have to talk about Justin Verlander. And whatever was wrong, it's fixed, <laughs> let's say the very least. Uh, you know, I, not that he was actually broken to begin with, but, you know, it, you know for when you look at the overall numbers, Kurt, with Justin Verlander this year, he wasn't awful. He was good. Maybe not. He wasn't like it wasn't his 2011, uh, 2012 self, but he was still a damn uh, good pitcher. You know, especially if you look at the advanced metrics, you know, like you know, WAR and things like that. But since September started, he's looking like the best pitcher in the world again, and he showed that in the playoffs by absolutely dominating the A's and. You know, it's funny now looking back at all the cries during the middle of the year that, you know, Verlander's gotten fat and lazy on this contract. Uh, Verlander's pitched too much, and it's now it's costing the Tigers. Verlander needs, or or like Brian Kenny before the playoffs, Verlander needs to pitch out of the bullpen. Uh, I think he. I, uh, it's funny that you know we're not hearing from those people anymore. Well, you know, I think every fan should be a little bit more like me, but uh... <laughs> yes. But you're you know, always right, ninety nine point seven percent of the time. And I'm cold blooded, you know, so I I, I don't really a get cold blooded sob. Yeah, I, I definitely I get the sob part. Most people leave out the cold blooded, but uh, anyway, you, you know, yeah, I just I I look at it cool headed and, and you know just trying just trying to see see things for what they are, not some stupid storyline that we mm. play on talk radio and. What, what did we see? We saw, yes, Justin Verlander was not Justin Verlander of the past. I will say that without a doubt mm-hmm. that he's not as good as he was two years ago 
to be expected. That was a year that few pitchers in the history of the game would be right. able to put together. But he 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 was not as good. He he, he had issues. He he raised question marks. But you know, advanced stats said that he's still one of the top twelve pitchers in baseball. He, exactly. He, he, even he would have been an ace on almost every single team. It just happened that his team had the eventual Cy Young winner Max or Max Scherzer. And the ERA leader, Annabelle Sanchez. So when you when you got those guys pitching next to you, it, you're, it's going to look hard to be human, you know. So, mm-hmm. but but Verlander, all along, people always oh, he worn down. Is he fat? Is he, I say, it's mechanical. It's mechanical. It's mechanical. As soon as he clicks this in, watch out. And whoops, you know, he clicked it in just in time in, in September, and he's pitching his best of the year at the time when you, you know, you want him pitching his best of the year in April or May, or do you want him pitching his best in the year in October? So long as the team is playing, I'll take October every single time. Yeah. Yeah. And he was an absolute wonder to watch in the, in game five. He had the A's flummoxed to note that, uh, that huge 12 to six curve that was dropping off a table, you know, high nineties heat, uh, the A's didn't know where it was coming from. It was just a, an amazing performance to watch. And uh, let's hope that <laughs> those mechanics remain clicked in in the next series, because uh, if so, that that is the Tigers' big advantage in this upcoming series, which we'll talk about. Uh, obviously, we have to talk about a little bit about redemption for Johnny Peralta, hook slide, and uh, so much for being rusty after his 50-game suspension. suspension. But there's a lot of people out there saying, oh, he, he's not going to be able to come back and hit. He sat too long, but... Uh, he pretty much carried the Tigers' offense for uh, for a point in the middle of the series. He was the only guy swinging the bat. He, he was a top run producer in the series, and he was playing out of position the vast majority of the time. Uh, if there's if you want to make a narrative out of this uh, out of the ALDS hook slide, Johnny Peralta's is a pretty damn good one. Hey, I called it, didn't I? Yes, you did. We talked about this weeks ago. So what's going to happen? You know, is, is he going to make the the playoff roster? And I said, yeah, he's going to come in. and He's going to be the decisive factor. And then the fan base isn't going to know what the hell to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at least that part of the fan base that said he shouldn't be coming back. You know, after mm-hmm. the suspension. But you're absolutely right. Uh, out of the total 15 RBIs that the Tigers have knocked in during this this division series. He's got five of them. Yeah. I mean, that's good for, what, 33-some percent, mm-hmm. you know, of, of the whole team. Batting, what, 417, I think, is the number in this in this series. Yeah, it's – it's and it's it, – I feel so much better with him in the lineup. Yeah. And seeing what he did, uh, you know, once he was in the lineup and, and starting to produce, I thought, wow, this series might have looked a little different if mm-hmm. he had been allowed to play in games one, you know, and two. But because he's the, like I said, he's he's one of the consistent yeah. swingers right now. Well, let me ask you this: uh, there was a lot of controversy over his moving back to shortstop for Game Five uh, and uh, benching uh, one of the best glovemen in the game in Jose Iglesias. Right? Uh, how, did, how did you agree with Jim Leland's call on that? Uh, yeah, I did, uh, and, and it does. I think it really, really depends on who's pitching. And yeah. and the the point was made: Verlander is not a ground ball pitcher. Um, you're going to get more fly balls than ground balls out mm-hmm. of him. So yeah, out in Oakland, unfamiliar left field territory. No, put put somebody out there who who is a consistent left fielder. Put Dirks, put Kelly, put you know somebody. Right. Uh, moving um, Peralta to, to shortstop. That's his home position. He's yeah. going to be fine. You know. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not even convinced that that. Uh, uh, how do I want to say this? Yes, Iglesias is so much more slick. 
mm-hmm. there at that at that spot. But Johnny Peralta is not, you know, error riddled, mm-hmm. you know, either. He was an all star shortstop. You know, so okay, maybe he won't get to a couple of those, you know, diving plays, but it's not like he's gonna bobble the ball every time either. So I'm I'm completely comfortable with him playing shortstop, even if uh Doug Fister, you know, mm-hmm. is, is pitching as a ground ball pitcher. Yeah, and uh, I'll, we'll talk about that when we uh, delve into the ALCS a little bit because uh, that, that that decision looms as to who's going to play left and who's going to play short in Fenway. Uh, for now, again, Miguel Cabrera, uh, this is another pl- player that it, it got to the point that a lot, a lot of the media and a lot of fans were saying it's time to bench him. You know, he's, there's no power. He's a single hitter. Now, now, there was a long article at Fangraphs from Jeff Sullivan saying he's uh, – He's a worse-than-replacement-level player at this point because of the injury. You know, when you factor in how much is it affected his defense and he can't run. But then he showed why, Kurt, that why you can't bench him in Game 5 by just one swing of the bat. Right. I mean, this, this discussion was everywhere. You know, Rob Nyer was having it at Baseball Nation. I, you know, I did, I did radio in Marquette yesterday, and I was asked about it there and, you know, talked about it on Twitter. It was it's it's one of those things where you, where you just go the baseball move might be to take Miguel Cabrera out of the lineup but you cannot mm-hmm. do that you it is impossible you you do not do that 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 goes against everything to to take him out of the lineup you know I I saw the argument he's a singles hitter you know uh, he. But, well, that was probably it. That was really the argument because yeah. he was actually hitting the ball, unlike most of his teammates. I said, I said, if anything, you you can drop him in the lineup. It's not going to happen. He's, mm-hmm. your, he's your MVP. He's he's hitting third. But I said, if anything, you drop him in the lineup. But that, I, I did not think you, you took him out. You know, what, what are you taking him out for? You, you take him out. Move Johnny Peralta to third, play Andy Dirks or Don Kelly. I mean, you're, are you? Are, is anyone seriously going to tell me Andy Dirks and Don Kelly are a better options than, than Miguel Cabrera? I I don't think so. I, right. I I don't see how you put that argument together with a straight face. I I just don't. So I said, look, I I understand this is this baseball argument, but no, Miguel Cabrera, it, it, he's he's playing, he's batting third. All of the discussion is just academic. Uh, it. And, and like you said, why why do you have to play him? Because he could do something like what he did yesterday. Yeah, yeah. My fear is that he he turned his entire body to mush on that one swing, but he was able to uh, play the uh, the vast majority of the game, and he did it pretty much with his entire upper body. Uh, and that's really why you got to keep playing him in Fenway because he could very easily just pop a few balls over that little league uh, outfield fence, even though it's thirty feet high at Fenway. So. Um, it was great to see, you know, the guys probably playing through it a humongous, huge amount of pain. I don't even want to think about how much this guy's hurting at this point. But uh, he's really, really shown why uh, he's one of the best players in baseball. When he's able to do things like that, when he probably should be in a hospital bed at this point. we got to talk about Austin Jackson just because his numbers were brutal in the ALDS. He was 2 for 20, 13 strikeouts, which set a new uh five-game series record in the division series. His OPS was 293. I don't think you can even do that on purpose if you tried. Uh, hook slide. What, is, what has happened to Jackson? Is, uh, I've, we've seen him go into, into funks before, but this funk is over the top. Wait, and you want me to fix that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fix him, please. 
Well, I'll tell you what's wrong with him. No, I have no idea what has caused this suddenly seemingly random slump. I mean, the guy always had a propensity to strike out. Yeah. His his career, I think, you know, average is somewhere around that that twenty five percent mark. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah, and he led higher. the team this year, even for all those sluggers they have. Sure. You know, it may be a little higher, a little lower, but that's still, you know, that's twenty five percent. That's one out of four trips to the plate. You're going to strike out. But the, that that series, the ALDS series, sixty five percent. Yeah, sixty five percent effing strikeout rate. How do you do that? And I, I started to look at the the pitch by pitch data because Sonny Gray just owned him in that first yeah. uh, that first uh, second game, but their first mm-hmm. matchup together. Got him all four times on strikeouts, and I'm starting to look at the at the pitches and saying, okay, what's what's his problem? Is it the fastball? Is it the slider? Is it the curveball? It's everything. And I feel like the guy gets up there, and and if he swings, he misses. If he shows some patience and takes the pitch, it, it's a called strike. Yeah. So he is just getting, you know, he's getting hurt bad on every, you know, I I, I did put up a. a a column of post on the site a couple of days ago comparing him and, mm-hmm. and Uncle Crisp. Yeah. You know, just kind of looking at pitch-by-pitch data and saying what's what's Jackson's trend right now. And part of it is that he's just not being patient enough. He's not taking enough um, balls. He's taking a, like one, I think, about an average of like one and a half called balls per, mm-hmm. per at-bat. So he's not getting himself ahead in the counts. You know, he's he's hacking away and missing at a lot of stuff right now. It's it's just it's kind of a mess. I, I'd kind of like to see him just go up there and and take you know twenty pitches in a row and just you know that <laughs> swing. Just get the walk, get on base. That's where he's got to be. Well, let me ask you this: Would you do you do you got to keep playing Austin Jackson, or do you contempl- if he starts to struggle and uh, against Boston, uh, do you make a move? Hmm. No, 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 no. You you got to keep him in the lineup and, and this is kind of the, the theme that, that seems to be, you know, emerging when you're whether you're talking about Cabrera, you know, or Jackson, um or even Verlander, mm-hmm. you know, for that matter. We we're talking people that, that that hit, you know, a certain slump, but we know what they're capable of doing. We know what their um average, you know, the the, the mean is, if you will, what what, what we can expect out of them. Mm-hmm. You don't take these guys out of the picture because you never know when they're gonna, you know, not regress, but you know, progress yeah. to to what they're going to be. When is Verlander going to become Verlander? When is Cabrera going to become Cabrera and hit that home run? You know, when is Jackson going to finally snap out of this? You don't know, so you don't take him out of the lineup. Yeah, and let alone, I I don't want that defense uh, removed from the game. You know, exactly. especially especially if you're going to end up playing Johnny Peralta left field at some point. And 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 of course, uh, Tory Hunter does a good job of scaring us all at times in right field. Even he's not the player he once was defensively, to say the very least. But now let's move Peralta to center field. Yeah, hey, why not? You know, I, I would not be surprised if someone on Sports Talk Radio made that suggestion. Yeah, I'll, I'll call them tonight and suggest it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the scary part is there will be a caller somewhere that will agree with you. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, but uh, but despite all this adversity with players slumping, you know, with not sure where the offense is going to come from, which pitchers are going to step up. The Tigers won a game five on the road for the third consecutive year, which is, a, you know, the A's would, would love to have that put be in that situation because they are, well, they they can't win an elimination game, pure and simple. So let's talk a little bit about the A's. Uh, and the for game five, the big decision, guys, was uh, Bob Melvin, 
uh, decided to go with rookie Sonny Gray over Bartolo Colon. And Gray, as great as uh, Gray was in Game 2, you know, we've said it over and over this podcast, the Tigers couldn't do a thing with him. He was not nearly as sharp in Game 5, and the Tigers were able to get to him. Uh, and he ended up being pulled um, after six innings. I mean, it was after five minutes, I believe it was. So, uh, Kurt, let me ask you, uh, was the, did the A's make the right decision in going with the hot hand over the very experienced starter who ha- had an under three ERA this season? You know, a lot of people thought it was obvious gray, but if you looked at it and you looked back at, at game one, other than starting the game a tad bit slow and giving up three runs and, and the first three guys getting on base, Cologne was just really, really good the rest yeah. of the game. And, you know, how much was that Cologne and how much was that uh, the, the Tigers offense still slumping? I, I don't know, but... You know, people who thought it was a no-brainer that you take Gray because Cologne gave up some runs, I did not agree with that at all. Uh, Beyond that, I mean, Gray, I I don't know that there's really a wrong answer here. I mean, Mm -hmm. people might look back and go, the wrong answer was Gray because he he lost, but I don't know that there's a wrong answer here. Gray pitched phenomenally in Game 2. He's pitched extremely well for, for his, what, you know, 13 or 12, whatever games it was in his major league career. Mm -hmm. And the, I, I think everyone assumed he was going to pitch pretty well again, and I think you would have to say he did pr- pitch pretty well again. He only gave up two runs, and he left the game after breaking his finger, you know, or, or you know, the, the bone under his thumb. But mm-hmm. so I, I don't think there was the wrong answer here. Oh. and uh, book slide. Uh, looking back on it now, obviously, as to say, hindsight is twenty twenty. Game four was, and they had it in the bag. No, they. Uh, the Tigers were being no hit. They were up three nothing. Uh, that they have to be looking at themselves now and say that was the that's the game we should have won it right then and there. As soon as we took, as soon as we, especially when we blew that huge opportunity in the eighth inning, leaving the bases loaded with nobody out. They, that right there, I don't, I, you know, I'm not one to say that, you know, that's a, a game to shake off. You know how because you know, big big players they do that. They're able to shake off bad losses. But considering their past history in playoff uh, playoff series, uh, unable to get out of a game five, you got to wonder if, if that was playing in their head saying, we just pissed away the series when we lost game four. I don't think so. As far as it being you know in their heads, yeah, no, probably not. I think it's just the circumstances. You know, the facts of the matter are you have to win that game four against Fister. Mm-hmm. Not because for some mystical, magical reason we can't win Game 5, but because going into Game 5 in 2013, you're facing Justin Verlander. And he has absolutely owned the A's, not just in playoffs, but even throughout the rest of this, you know, through the 2013 regular season. Um, And I said, you know, I I was one of the biggest critics of Verlander all year long and saying he's barely outpitching Rick Porcello. Mm -hmm. But even I said he needs to start against Oakland because that's the one team that he's really actually – He's really good, you know, against that team. So, you know, you're right. Blowing that opportunity in the eighth inning, game four, bases loaded, nobody out. Yeah, that that that's where they lost it yeah. because that that assured that they were going to go face Verlander in game five, and that's just that's that's bad. <laughs> As we saw that those were uh, uh, that was one of those games where, you know. I, you know, I, I was nervous, yeah, but as I was watching Verlander, and especially in those first few innings, and seeing that he had it, that you know, th- this was good, this was looking like 
you know, the old deja vu all over again. It was just like game five of last year. I wasn't, you know, to the point of, you know, like I, I was in game four where I was a nervous wreck, you know. Verlander was so good, so confident, doing it so effortlessly. You know, I was just able to, you know, concentrate on doing a recap and not get all worked up over, oh, my God, are the Tigers going to blow it? Because I don't know about you, Kurt, but I never got the feeling in game five that Verlander was going to blow this. He's Verlander. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you only need to say more than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Oh, oh, okay, then I will. Jeez, Al, you're no, no, no. Well, let me oh. ask you. Well, well, let me ask you this. Uh, bringing in the closer, uh, bringing in Joaquin Benoit in the ninth. Uh, people went nuts over that. They wanted to see Verlander get the complete game, and it was interesting that this is one of those times where nobody had the facts as to why the play, that decision was made. But at the time, it looked dumb. Hindsight, now we know what happened. Actually, Jim Leland had a very legitimate reason for making that change. Yeah, I think Verlander was tired, wasn't he? He admitted it. <laughs> you know, and if Verlander is saying it, then wow. I, I didn't think, you know, I, I don't think he would admit when he had the flu for Pete's sake. Yeah. So, you know, so it was a good reason. Oh, I, you know, like everyone else, I wanted to see him go back out in the ninth. But I, I don't think I was as concerned about it. I, you know, I know there's some Benoit fear because he hasn't been quite as crisp lately. But... Uh, you know, I, I I don't think I was concerned about it. you know, but from a fan standpoint, yeah, I would have loved to see Verlander go out there. But hey, this is a guy who will admit when he thinks that somebody can do the job better. I mean, that's leadership there. Yeah, yeah, it was interesting that uh, you know in the post game that Jim Leland said, yeah, Verlander told me that I couldn't pitch out of a jam. That's how tired he was. He says I, it was a one two three inning, I wouldn't have a problem. But if I got into a jam, I would not be able to pitch out of it. And he and Jim Leland says, I do, I will not put my closer in that situation. And what's interesting is that that's exactly what happened to him in the 1992 playoffs against the Braves when he was coaching the uh, Pirates. And that he let his starter start the inning, got into deep trouble with a three-run lead, and the Braves ended up walking off on you know on the uh, with the Francisco Cabrera single that scored Sid Green. So there was a little history there as well. And don't and I don't, that's not the sort of play I think Jim Leland's going to forget. So I can understand his reasoning between all that, not not wanting to roll the dice with a essentially a gas Verlander, because Justin, as you said, Justin Verlander is a type he'll go run and hide from Jim Leon. He does not want to come out of games, and if he admits that I don't know if I have what I need, that's essentially him saying I'm done. So, uh, and, and you know we we've seen it before where where Verlander looks overpowering, yeah. comes out in the ninth. And something, you know, he, 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 like what, had one, you know, one hit shutout, came out in the ninth and gave up runs before. So, you know, mm-hmm. it, just because he's, he's been so good for eight innings doesn't guarantee the ninth. So yeah. again, you know, even if he wasn't tired, there, there could have been good reason to make a move. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, yeah. Just thinking back to the Kansas City game, was it the early of last year where uh, it was, I think it was the situation you just described. And next thing you know, he's got a 30 pitch ninth inning and he has to pitch right. out of a bases loaded jam. Right, that that is exactly what I was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. Now my theory is he was bored. <laughs> Challenge yeah. over, huh? <laughs> yeah, this is this is boring, Jim. Take me out. I'm going to fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, but uh, it's something though. When Verlander is on his game like that, he is an absolute marvel to watch, and that was absolute beautiful. Beautiful. You know, when Jim when when uh, Jim Price of all people isn't saying wow, I mean, he's actually going. That's a beautiful game. He's beautiful to watch. Well, that's how impressive he was. When Jim Rice says more than wow, I mean that tells it all right there. 
Speaking of WoW, I guess we got to talk about the ALCS a little bit as we uh, start winding our way towards the end of the podcast. It's Boston, guys. Uh, they beat the Rays, I believe, at uh, 3-1. And playing Boston, well, there's a lot of baggage that goes with playing Boston. Uh, this is the team that had the best record in the American League. They have a rabid and, well, insufferable fan base, you know, very Yankees-esque in that way. They have a creaky and eccentrically built stadium, which is uh, gives them quite a bit of a home field advantage. Uh, the Tigers did win the season series. They took three at four of home in June, but they did lose two or three in Boston September when they were kind of kind of scuffling through the end of the year, including that god-awful 20-4 loss in the third game of that series. So, uh, hook slide. Boston. This is one of those series where uh, I think the Tigers have one major advantage, and that's in the in, in the starting pitching. Otherwise, you know, Boston's are, yeah, they they probably are better than the Tigers when it comes to their overall lineup. At least right now, the way they're playing and defensively. No, well, it's the, it's that you know the offense question all over again. Yeah, and that makes up that makes up for a lot. Um, I was just pointing out to somebody a couple of days ago after Anibal Sanchez, you know, gave up six runs. Uh, you know, to Oakland and saying, you know, the Tigers actually still maintain a winning record when they're, when they're giving up five runs. Mm-hmm. Offense covers a multitude of pitching sins is what I'm getting at. And this, this Tigers team can, can really, you know, make the difference in terms of the offense covering the pitching. Pitching is going to be great. You know, I have no doubt about that. Uh, you know, Scherzer, Verlander, Sanchez, I think it should be fine. But if this offense doesn't, snap, you know, snap out of this, this weird funk. And I'm not sure if they're fully out of it yet. Yeah. Uh, what was I looking at the, um, Oh, come on. Their, their current team average in the playoffs is only two thirty-five. Mm-hmm. So I don't think they're out of it yet. They're averaging about three and a half runs per game in the, in the playoff season so far. Now let's look at what, what they did against Boston throughout the year. And, and I want to take out that, that blowout game, that 20 run game, cause mm-hmm. that's kind of an outlier. If you look at that, then Boston scored an average of 3.8 runs against Detroit. So there's there's some comparison there versus what the Tigers are doing now in the playoffs, three and a half runs per game, and what Boston did to them throughout the year, 3.8 runs per game. It's going to be kind of close. Yeah. Um, during the regular season, Tigers put up an average of about five runs per game, but I don't think they're they're at that point right now with you know with the way their lineup is with Cabrera hurting and Jackson doing God knows what. So it, it's it's uh, they're, they're going to have to hit Boston very early in these games. God help them if they get to uh, what's his name Uihara. Yeah, you know in the in the bullpen because he's he looks unhittable right now. Yeah, but I was shocked that the Rays were able to walk off on him and uh, to keep their season alive. But yeah, for the most part this season he's uh, you're right. He's essentially unhittable. You know, you, and the Tigers did very little against him during the regular season. Kurtz, the Boston matchup. How do you feel about it? Well, you know, uh, I, I posted this on the blog, and I bet you'll link to it because you're such a you're such a good blinker. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, and I think I even mentioned it on the last podcast. Is you know, Joe Sheehan he he wrote a, a post and he looked mm-hmm. back since the rise of the strikeout the past couple of years ago. He looked back and and what he found in the playoffs was that contact rate was a extremely good predictor of which team would advance in the series. Last year, the team with the better contact rate, or, you know, you, you could confuse that with another stat. So the, the team that puts the ball in play and doesn't strike out, that would be a better way of saying it. The team that, that doesn't strike out one 
seven series last year and, and did not lose a series. Before that, the team that they did better, you know, not striking out went, was five and two. So he he says this just might be you know a good predictor of postseason success. Well, I looked at the Tigers, they're, they're the number one team for putting the ball in play. Looked at the Red Sox, they're the number twenty two team, you know, so they're near the bottom. Pitching. Look at the Tigers. They're the number one team for striking out the opposition. Mm-hmm. What What does this add up to? If If this thesis is correct, this series looks like it should go the Tigers' way because you know they 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 their their strikeout pitchers versus the strikeout prone Red Sox could put up some spectacular strikeout numbers. And keeping the Red Sox from putting it in play, you know, is always a good idea, especially. You know they have some power, and and they have some some guys. And gosh, you know you don't want the Tigers' defense in play. So, so what do I come up with? I come up with some uh, optimism that the Tigers might actually come through this one. Yeah, yeah. I, I think if you look at overall throughout the season, this, these are probably going to be the two best teams in the league right now. And uh, uh, this has been building all year. These are the two uh, the two best teams in the AL. They're gonna. It's a mano a mano to. Uh, See who goes to the World Series, uh, but uh, this is the uh, this flying ointment, I guess, sort of, and that would be what are the Tigers going to do in left field, Kurt? Johnny Peralta and left field is he? Is, they can't use him with the green with the green monster, can they? He's does he? He's got to play shortstop. So uh, the odds, do you think we'll see the same sort of lineup we saw in Game Five against the A's in Game One in Boston Saturday? Well, let, let's look back at the history of the Green Monster. Who used to play in front of the Green Monster? Manny Ramirez. Yes. <laughs> so, if, if Manny Ramirez is playing in front of the Green Monster, I think Johnny Peralta can play in front of the Green Monster. You need Jose Iglesias. You need his glove. You need him to, to you know, kick some butt against his former team. You know, so I, no, I, I play Johnny Peralta in left field. I, I don't even think twice. Well, even with that goofy wall, Johnny Peralta could play about the, at the two two hundred foot mark. Essentially, be a rover at that. He's all, he'd be a, almost an infielder anyway. Hooks, let me ask you about this. Um, what do you do with the, the left field shortstop conundrum? Do you agree with Kurt? I don't necessarily agree. I guess um, I know that that green monster is kind of a weird, you know, it's a weird variable, and I'm not sure that any left fielder plays that wall very well, except for the Red Sox yeah. left fielders. Um, so, you know, what, what do you get with Peralta versus Dirks? You know, what's what's the real advantage? Uh, I, I don't know. It's I, I'm looking over the the starting staff's um, ERA numbers against Boston this year, and I'm seeing a lot of a lot of fly ball type stuff going on. Um, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with Peralta out there. I guess <laughs> in unfamiliar territory, um, but you can't take his bat out of the lineup. You know, God help him. You got to have him in there. So. I guess when it comes down to it, again, it gets back to the pitching. You know, if, if you're looking at uh, Doug Fister, you know, lots of ground balls, maybe that's when you want to go ahead and put Johnny in, in left field. But where does that, I guess, I have to look at the rotation and see where that lines up in terms of where they're playing. Because I don't think Fister is going to end up pitching in Fenway, is he? No, it doesn't look that way. It, 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 uh, if it spells out the way it's looking, it's going to be uh, Sanchez and Scherzer in the games one and two in Boston. Mm. Yeah, so I think in those in those cases, I would go ahead and put Johnny at shortstop, you know, at Fenway, mm-hmm. and 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 do without Iglesias's glove, you know, for those first couple of games. But if you're going to pitch, you know, Fister, um, yeah, go ahead and put Johnny in left. It's fine. It'll be in Comerica. You know, he can go back out to left field and and go from there. Yeah, I guess uh, 
uh, I, I tend to lean uh, your way there, uh, Hooksfly, just because of uh, if he wouldn't play Johnny Peralta at the Elko, and you know, as, as big of an outfield that is, it's not nearly as tricky as Fenway. I, I have a hard time believing Jim Leland would throw Johnny Peralta out there. But then again, you never know. He's made some ballsy moves so far in the, in the, in the ALDS. Maybe he'll make even ballsier decisions uh, in the championship series. Like starting Scherzer out in left field? Yeah, hey, there you go. <laughs> That's ballsy. Come yes. on. Yes. But, uh, yeah, God forbid. The only thing that – the only problem is is that if uh, – Peralta's at shortstop. That means Don Kelly – we'll have that damn Don Kelly or Andy Dirks argument again, and that gave me a headache in Game 5. I don't want to go through that again, God forbid. Uh, but it's, the ro- it's all about the rotation, isn't it, Kurt? Uh, if the Tigers are going to beat uh, the Red Sox, uh, it, Scherzer, Verlander, and, uh, and Sanchez, Fister, they got to carry this team all the way because, as, as we've been saying, we're just not sure what we're going to get from the offense. Uh, right, and you know, uh, we've said it before. Pitching wins, especially in the postseason, and the Tigers have the best pitching by far. So I, I really, you know, I think you have to feel pretty confident with uh, with these guys. And, you know, especially if you find a way to get the right guy two starts each. You know, mm-hmm. minimize Fister and Fister. You know, talk about minimizing Fister. He was one of the best pitchers in in the game overall too. So it's, yeah, you, you can't lose really. I mean. You, yeah, you just as long as the offense can show up because Boston's got a good offense. They're going they're going to score a few more runs than the A's. I mm-hmm. think that uh, even against good pitching, they're going to score a few runs. So as long as the Tigers' offense can show up too, uh, it, it you know I, I I still I feel confident confident about the Tigers. I feel better about them against the Red Sox than I felt against the A's. Yeah. All right. Uh, there was one weird decision from MLB when it comes to this series, and that's a. Uh... Cowboy Joe West was named crew chief for this series. Uh, hook slide words fail me at this point, uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm expecting an um show, and that's and that is and for oh, if people don't realize that that's a very derogatory term at this point. Yeah, that's a very derogatory term, and you do not want you know a series of this you know. Uh, magnitude or, you know, import or whatever being decided by some showboat ump, you know, who feels like he needs to get himself, you know, involved in the picture. And I think we've been very fortunate. I don't, I don't want to push the, the panic button yet mm-hmm. because we said the same thing at the beginning of the division series. Yeah. Oh, God, it's C.B. Buckner. Oh, you know, yeah. And mm-hmm. he turned out to call a really, really good game behind home plate yeah. and did not seem to cause any problems that I can think of unless he stole Austin Jackson's bat. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to look into that, but... So no, I, I I don't have enough, I guess, uh, prior knowledge of what what Joe West has been like in the past. I mean, I've seen a couple of horror stories here and there, but hopefully he's got the the sense to just stay out of the way, you know, and just just do his job. Ha! <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, that's the problem. This is this is a man who has his own website with his country music posted on it. So. Uh... Are, but then, Kurt, let me ask: Are we are we really making too much of this Joe West stuff, or is there at least a a reason for it to be a little bit of fear there uh, from both fan bases? Really? Well, there's there's no reason to be annoyed because Joe West is he's definitely annoying. But I, I think I, I, it's always making too much out of the umpires. Always, always, always. Is, or do do fans make too much out of the umpiring? With that, it's uh well, we're going to start wrapping up the podcast. I want to get your predictions. So I know these predictions will go live on the site likely Saturday, as I've, I've actually been getting messages from the staff as we've been recording. You know, it's funny, when we were talking about Patrick, I got a message from him of his prediction, for example. So, hook slide, 
Uh, what's your prediction for the ALCS? Who you got? How's it go down? Vegas seems the least slightly favored to Red Sox. What does Vegas know? Vegas has a <laughs> horrible splits against lefties. So uh, I'm going Tigers in six, or I should say not less than six, but I think it'll be six. I think they will trade off the first couple. I think they'll get the split at Fenway. Um, maybe the Tigers get get two, I think, at, at, at Comerica. It's, it's going to be tight, I think, but it's going to be less uh, stressful than the A's series. Yeah, so I, I like can't our, handle another series like that. I can't. No, I like our chances against Boston even better than I did against Oakland. And the season numbers played, you know, played that out too. That told the same story. We were three and four against Oakland over the year and four and three against Boston. So I, I like our chances. Mr. Menchin, how about you? Uh, who do you got? Well, Oakland was four and three against us, and and mm-hmm. they didn't advance. <laughs> so I, I'm not I'm not going to play that game. Uh, but I am going to go exactly uh, opposite our esteemed colleague, and I will say I will take the Tigers in no more than six. Ah, ooh, ooh. oh, I threw a wrench into the the belly of the beast. You always yeah, I, throw a wrench in this podcast. I, I, I may well, have to reconsider my prediction now. You should because I'm right a lot more than you are, man. You know what? I, I will concede that point because after the Tigers <laughs> clinched, when they clinched the division, what did I say to you? I said, I'm going to celebrate this tonight because I'm not sure they're going to get past Oakland. And you said, trust the pitching. I don't know. I never remember what I say. <laughs> nope, you, said, you said, I like their chances, trust the starting pitching. And you were absolutely right. Always right. You should listen to me more. Yep. All right. Well, I guess it's my turn, and I'm. Uh, I think I'm going Red. Uh, no, no, Red, no, Tig- no. Tigers and seven. God forbid. I, I, I have a feeling this is going to be another rough and tumble, long, miserable series, with uh, lots of twists and turns, lots of scares, lots of lots of tears, lots of happiness, just like the last series. But when it comes down to it, no matter what happens, you know, if if I'm wrong on the number of games, I just have a hard time believing the Red Sox can beat Verlander and Scherzer twice each. So I think that, I think that's your difference right there. I, the, the, our reason to pick the Tigers over the A's and the ALDS was the pitching. That worked out that way. I'm going with the pitching again. You know, be it, you know, I'll say seven, but it would not surprise me if the Tigers do it in less just because of that pitching. And if, Shan, if Sanchez steps up, you know, doesn't throw gopher balls, you know that, that that would be huge for the Tigers. It might make a difference how long the series goes. But you know what's uh, going to be interesting, mm-hmm. Al. Is yeah. that I don't think Sanchez has even faced them this year. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You're right. They have not even seen his stuff yet. So that is going to be really. Verlander has mm-hmm. the worst mm-hmm. stats against them. But yeah, so. keep it. Yeah, and that, that's a good point with uh, Sanchez because uh, you know obviously they do have a book on him, but they haven't seen him this year, and we saw how much t- trouble the Tigers had with a guy they had not seen this year in Sonny Gray. So. Uh, no, obviously there's more of a book on Sanchez, but that's a, that's a good point. It's there's a bit of an unknown there, but uh, I think we're all in agreement. We like the Tigers pitching too much to pick against them. All right, one more thing before we wrap it up, I and mean, this is our, our controversies part of the podcast. And I was kind of stretching it this month, this week. So, but once again, we had a Moneyball referendum, guys. Um, the A's make the playoffs, but are knocked out in the first round in a game five. Uh, Billy Bean has reportedly said the A's are built for the regular season. Now, the pundits are saying that Moneyball just can't work in the playoffs. It's shown by being beaten once again by a star-laden, high-payroll built for the postseason team like the Tigers. Kurt, are the pundits correct? Is, a, is the Moneyball strictly a regular season phenomenon and it can't get you to the World Series? 
No, that I mean it, it it's ridiculous. I, I I now I'm I just get to the point where I wish the book was never even published. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure Billy Bean feels the same way right about now. Because yeah. it's, what do what does and Grant Frisbee wrote a great article linked to that. Uh, what what do this year's A's have to do with the A's from 11 years ago? You know. That totally different idea. Back then, it was you know I like guys to get on base and and why don't we just admit that we're making way too much about on base percentage when the reason the A's won in the first place a decade ago was that they had one of the best rotations or possibly the best rotation in in the game at the time. So that's why the A's were winning more than on base percentage or guys who looked bad in jeans. So now, now what what do what do the what do the A's now have to do? You know, mm-hmm. playing some platoons, they good defense. They got good defense all around. You know, they're their M V P caliber third baseman very good at playing defense as well as hitting. So, you know, that it that the money there is no money ball. That's it, I it's it's utterly I can't even speak. I'm so I'm ranting already. I, it, it's just stupid. It, it's stupid, stupid, dumb, dumb, dumb. <laughs> Hoax slide. Uh, what's your take on his Moneyball referendum take? Can Moneyball work in the playoffs? It didn't work this time. Will it ever? I tell you what. I have about forty pounds of smoked cigarette butts, three empty bottles of Jack Daniels, and pallets <laughs> upon pallets of Rolades to say otherwise. Because damn it, they almost did. Yeah. They almost did it again. Mm-hmm. And you look at the way this series unfolded, it's going to come down to you know maybe a handful of key decisions and plays uh, that have nothing to do with payroll, with you know rock star talent or whatever you want to call it. No, no, this, this was a very close series that could have gone either way. It has nothing to do, it has everything to do with the fact that it's a five-game short series, small sample size, roll the dice, anything can happen. It just happens to have gone, you know, the Tigers' way the last couple of times against Oakland. But, you know, like I said, if if the Tigers didn't pull out what they did on on a uh, uh, game four, you know, on Tuesday, mm-hmm. no, that this is this thing is over. That you know, the, the A's hurt themselves by having to go face Verlander. But that, come on, you look at the, how back and forth that game was. You know, mm-hmm. no, it's, it's 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 roll the dice completely. Roll the dice, small sample size, anything happens. Has nothing to do with the payroll. Yeah, you pretty much took the uh, what I was going to say right on my mouth there, Hooksfly. It, yeah, it's just that these uh, short series, anything can happen. Weird sample size stuff happens, goes down. And put it this way, Josh Reddick doesn't swing at that out of the strike zone change up on a three-two oh, yeah. pitch. The series might be completely different. And Moneyball didn't make Josh Reddick swing at that pitch. Max Scherzer did. So it's uh, you know, I, I'm with you guys. This is uh. uh you know, Moneyball made a good story, but as Kurt said, uh, often ignored at that is that they had what, the best rotation in the game back then, and plus they had an MVP in Miguel Tejada. Uh, they they kind of forget that as well. So, uh, you know, there was a lot more going on there, and just yeah, we we, we signed uh, beer league guys who have high on base percentages. So, uh, I, I I would just hope it gets put to rest, but it's not going to just because the A's are never going to have a big payroll until they get that stupid stadium mess figured out out there, and that's that. That, that's a you could do a whole podcast on the absolute mess that is going on between the A's, the Giants, Oakland, San Francisco, and, and uh, San Jose. That's a huge, huge zit on the back of Bud Selig's MLB baseball ass. And, yeah, the entire thing stinks. Yes, 
<laughs> including hey. the sewage in the dugout. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's and that's the that's the and because of crap like that, another pun, uh the A's are right now kind of competing with one hand tied behind their back and are forced to do things like that because of that stupid stadium situation. Now, as much as it rocked there and much of it was a very football-like atmosphere, uh, the place is a dump. They're playing in a dump. And if the A's are ever going to compete long-term, they've got to get out of that dump. So we'll see what happens there. But, yeah, I think we're all in agreement. Money, this Moneyball narrative is just another bullshit media narrative. All right, let's wrap it up. As we're, we're all tired. We're all cranky. And we got to do this all over again in a little over 24 hours as we're recording this on Friday afternoon, uh, and we're we're just cranky and tired. Well, well, two of us I'm are, and I know I was just going to say, Hook Slide's not not cranky. Kurt and I are, <laughs> but you guys always are. So. Yeah, no kidding. So let's wrap it up. Final thoughts, Hook Slide. Anything that you want to say before we call an afternoon? Uh, you know, no, no necess- uh, predictions or you know controversies or anything. I'm just gonna say, you know, I'm having a great time as a Tigers fan right mm-hmm. now. Um, we we made it, we made it through mm-hmm. that horrifying, you know, gauntlet, that challenge of the ALDS with the A's. We're through it. We get, you know, another nice long series to you know, <laughs> sweat it out again. But wow, what a great time to be a Tigers fan and had a ball last night. It, you know, it was. Uh, on my way home, um, I'm trying to think now. They were they they were they'd already started the game probably two or three innings into it on my way home, and I and I realized I don't have champagne. Yeah. And I <laughs> thought, do I get do I stop and get the champagne? Because at that point I wasn't really sure how that game was going to unfold, and you know was I mm-hmm. really expecting the Tigers to win? And I said, you know what, screw it. I am getting the champagne. I'm going to show a little bit of you know faith in this team. I'm getting the champagne. We're drinking this tonight, and it turned out we did. So. I love it. Yeah, and you, and I, just to throw that in there, hook slide. This you have a son who is at the perfect age for this kind of stuff, where he's going to essentially become an insane fan of this team for the rest of his life. Well, he's not the right age, right age for the champagne. Yeah, so not, but not sure. let's, let's <laughs> clarify that. Yeah, <laughs> he's 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 at the right age to be yes, absolutely sinking his teeth into Tiger baseball right now. Yeah, yeah, because because uh, uh, my first real taste of this was uh, nineteen seventy two. I was in the stands the night the Tigers clinched against the Red Sox uh, at home at Tiger Stadium. I would have been 10, 11 years old, and uh, and it was that weird strike season where the Tigers ended up winning the division by half a game because the Red Sox, I believe, played one less game that year. And but but being in the stands for that and watching uh, this is back in the day where the crowd just tumbled over the fence onto the field and started tearing up turf and something I'll never ever forget. And if I wasn't going to be a, a Tigers fan after that, you know, it wasn't going to happen. Obviously, I became a diehard uh, because of that, uh, much because of that season. You know, the, that that era of Tigers last hurrah, where I was old enough to at least be around to remember it. Kurt, you know, you want, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's just because you, you guys will love this because I got up this morning. First mm-hmm. thing I saw in my in my inbox from you know early this morning is he had actually emailed me from school. <laughs> it's a it, all the email says is Tigers win, followed by about 25 exclamation points. <laughs> Yes, and Miggy hit a home run finally, Boston Saturday. Yep. So there you go. There's a nine-year-old's take on the whole thing. There you go. Exactly. Yeah, to be able to see the stuff like this through a nine-year-old's eyes, oh, my God. Kurt, anything you want to add? That, that sounds like a lot of blog, actually. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I promised you something, so I'll have to Oh, God, you. here we go. This is down in it hurts inside. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Da, 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 da. 
You gotta take a stand, it don't help to hide. Dun, 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 dun. If you hurt my friends, then you hurt my pride. I gotta be a man, I can't let it slide. I am a real American. Fight for the rights of every man. I am a real American. Fight for what's right. Fight for your life. Okay, enough of that. I, I kinda, I'm going to hang up now. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I, I promise. I promise, and I follow through on my promises. No matter how stupid it makes me look to everyone else. Who did you promise that to? Uh, Al. <laughs> I didn't tell him what I promised. No, you didn't did, tell I, me what it was going to be. God forbid. You know, he, <laughs> Al, this if, is if your I, fault. If, yes, it if is. I, if I told him, he would have kicked me off the podcast right before that moment. And, <laughs> my, and I, I had my finger on my mouse ready to hit the red button to hang up. <laughs> Oh my God! That was, uh, epic. That was so epic. Uh, uh, I, I maybe we have a new theme song. I, you should open the podcast with the real one. You don't. You, God help us. No, well, see, that's the difference between us. I'm older than you guys, and uh, I wasn't uh, uh, that that era of. Uh, uh, I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> I'm still flabbergasted. Oh Jesus! Thank Just you, Kurt. Just like this point, the, the connection here is, is that I compared Max Scherzer to Hulk Hogan. Yes, yes, I am aware that is Hulk Hogan's song. Oh my God! And yeah, yeah, Hulk Hogan. <laughs> I'm the, speechless. The, the, the only reason I ever watched wrestling as a kid, Hulk Hogan. Absolutely. I was a George Animal Steel fan, so enough of that. <laughs> all right, let's. Uh, all I want to say is. Uh, thank goodness you know, uh, TBS's coverage of the series was so bad. I mean, uh, I enjoyed the pre and post games. Uh, I enjoy Keith Oberman. You know, I take the politics out of it all together. The guy's a great broadcaster. And I think they had to have uh, a very uh, eclectic uh, group of, of uh, an analysts there with, uh, uh, you know, with, uh, Dirk Hayhurst and Tom Verducci and, uh, you know, uh, you know. so there was a lot. You know, that was, I found that entertaining. I enjoyed that. But the coverage of the games itself was god-awful, brutal. There's missed camera shots, weird graphics, such as uh, the graphic in Game 5 where, if necessary, it was spilled Mitzelplik or something. Uh, and and if, you know, every once in a while, there would be moments of clarity where Dennis Eckersley or Buck Martinez would say something lucid and smart, but the vast majority of the coverage was... Uh, it was awful, awful, awful. And the problem is, I was stuck listening to that just because of the, the way my setup is here at home. That you know, I, I do everything. You know, when I recap or recap as the game is going on, and I have the TV broadcast on the screen. And uh, long story short, I, I was unable to. I could not sync up the radio call of Dan Dickerson with the TV because, uh, and uh, Dickerson was ahead of the TV, unfortunately. So. I had to suffer through the TBS broadcast. And all I can say about the TBS broadcast was when they make you look forward to Joe Buck and Tim McCarver, that tells you how awful it was. So uh, I, I, I just I wish I wasn't in the shoes of like, Kirk, because I know Kirk was able to listen to Dan Dickerson the entire series, but and when I got stuck with uh, the three amigos. But, you know. Was, I had a lot more fun. Yes, you did. <laughs> you know, I, did I did the same thing. I just I skipped the TV, honestly. 
because I couldn't get it to sync up. But I said, you know, screw it. I want Dickerson. Yeah, and uh, yeah, but you know, I, I, that I, that was the one problem with that. I was that Dickerson, at least in my case, was so far ahead it was almost ridiculous, like fifteen seconds, something like that. It was a huge amount, and I just I I tried it and I go, no, this is gonna, you know, I I can't. I'm stuck listening to uh, the Boneheads and TBS. But regardless, the baseball was fun. I just you know, and at the very least, it gave me gave me some stupid quotes to use in recaps. But regardless of all that, I'm actually looking forward to Joe Buck. I, I, he doesn't annoy me as much as McCarver, and this is the last series we'll ever, the last couple series we'll ever have with Tim McCarver. So I guess we got that going for us. Did uh, either of you catch the uh, the MLBN coverage on Monday? That was uh, wasn't too bad. I, I, I think it was all right. It, it, yeah, it was, it was a lot better than TBS. Yeah, I okay. would have preferred to hear uh, if um, uh, God. Uh, rather than Matt Vazarian, Matt, uh, it was uh, Don, uh, Dan, Jim, Bob Jim Costas. Yeah, Bob yeah. Costas doing the play-by-play, but it, it was okay. It was a lot better than the uh, TBS broadcast. I'll say. Other than Porcello. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I was asking. I, I wonder if you guys caught that. If you were Everybody I, caught that. Yes. yes. Yeah. But Porcello. Rick Porcello. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, yeah, so uh, I think it's time we Porcello the hell out of here. So, um uh, Let's wrap it up. Hook slide, where can they find you online? Uh, KurtSingsTheHits.com. <laughs> I'm, go- I'm going to GoDaddy right now to buy that URL. <laughs> I already own the domain in the last five minutes. I bought it. So. It'll be really popular. <laughs> well, yeah, at least for... I know. have a lot of fans. I have a lot more fans than either of you guys. So. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at HookSlideBYB. Hey, and telling uh, the truth. What, what what truth is that? I can't handle the truth. <laughs> oh. And on Facebook, facebook.com slash hookslide.byb. Yes. All right. And Kurt, other than kurtsingsthehits.com, where can they find you? I'm just going to hang out there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Kurtsingsthehits.com is it. And, of course, he's uh, he can also be found at uh, usually behind the at Bless You Boys account. And also occasionally running the SB Nation MLB account on Twitter as well. Sometimes, as, sometimes in front of the Blushy Boys account. Indeed. And uh, and Rob as well, who does a lot of work with the SB Nation MLB account. And you can always find me on Twitter. Actually, I've been a little more active than normal on there, during, at least during games. And that is uh, Big Al, BYB, on Twitter. And, of course, you can find me... Uh, Exhausting myself every night uh, doing all these recaps, which have gotten absolutely out of control <laughs> in the playoffs. I, the last two recaps, I think, were almost 9,000 words combined. So. Holy crap! Yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah, the uh, game four was 4,500 and game five was 4,000. So that's why it's going to go on forever, Kurt, because it doesn't go on forever. I don't write that in a week. No, you don't. <laughs> but that, that's not by choice. <laughs> yeah, okay. well. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's let's wrap this up because uh, well, at least one of us is happy to be here. So, <laughs> me, yeah. So, uh, with that, no, we're all having fun. And actually, this ended up going a lot longer than I thought it was because you know, Kurt and I was like, eh, let's make this short, and we're going on normal time anyway. So, if I mentioned that I have to use the bathroom, and you have to go to work, so we got to wrap this up. So, until this time next week, uh, hopefully, we'll be talking about uh, some. Playoff victories from the Tigers. This is Al Beaton saying good afternoon and good luck along with Hooks Lodge. ALDS champions. Woo! And Kurt mentioned. I am a real American. 
We're all real. No, no, we're not all real Americans. Only Kurt is the real American, and he'll stay that way on the next Bless You Boys podcast. All right. That was fun. Yep. And it hurts inside. You gotta take a stand. It don't help to hide. Dun, 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 dun. If you hurt my friends and you hurt my pride, I gotta be a man. I can't let it slide. I am all real American. Fight for the rights of every man. I am a real American. Fight for what's right. That's good advice. Thanks, big fella. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all stages or situations.